My name is Sergeant Joe Fink. Working the 24-hour shift out of homicide. And this is my workshop. The part of town that everybody knows about, but that nobody wants to see. Where the tragedies are deeper, the ecstasy's wilder, and the crime rate consistently higher than anywhere else. Skid Row. My beat. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome to this brand new mini-series on every version ever. These next three episodes will be covering different versions of Little Shop of Horrors. Joining me for this entire series is Nikki from Trivial Theater. Nikki is a big fan of cheesy horror films, and today's film, the film that spawned the entire franchise, is a cheesy horror film, but also so much more. 1960's Little Shop of Horrors is, on its face, a cheesy B-movie, a cheaply made horror film about a man-eating plant, but it's also absolutely bonkers in the best possible way. It's full of very smartly written comedy, plus very random humor that to me was almost ahead of its time, and hilariously memorable characters. It's barely a horror movie. It's more like a comedy that uses horror elements to tell an absolutely ridiculous story. Okay, well, I guess we could just jump right in. All right, sounds good. You tell me where you want to start. <laughs> where to even begin with this? Well, I guess first you could tell me how you knew about this, or if it was just because of the musical, or... Um, I grew up on the original Little Shop, or the, I guess I should say, I grew up on the 80s Little Shop of Horrors, um, the one with Rick Moranis and um, mm-hmm. everybody. Then I saw the play version... When I was in college, someone like on campus had put it together. And then I, I ran across the 1960s version because someone said it was a remake. And I went and, and uh, looked into it further. And I, I couldn't believe this movie existed because <laughs> it is just someone had once said, you know, an entire generation of people grew up on the musical or the um, the 80s version being kind of the, the main version. Mm-hmm. And to know that you've got this. This original one done by, like, the king of B-movies himself, shot mostly in about 48 hours. <laughs> I mean, uh, th- there was more to it than that, but, I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? It just... <laughs> yes. I, I I don't think I realized how ridiculous it was going to be until I started watching. It was like, what? What? <laughs> I know, right? Like, you take all the stuff you know about the 80s version and that that in itself it's actually pretty crazy like this you know music stuff aside some of the points of of interest i mean like um a sadist dentist with a masochistic uh, patient the the whole like like a biker subplot i mean a giant it just it's so insane (laughs) where do you even start i was surprised that the dentist thing was even in this version like i i guess i just figured that was from the 80s version yeah because it just seems like something more that they would do in the 80s i was not expecting that to be from the 60s version (laughs) oh and and there's just like um the mom in this i mean (laughs) the mom was hilarious oh i know the guy (laughs) that eats flowers i mean it's just (laughs) that there are so many little things and you know I, i think it takes a couple of watches to get it but there's so much like snappy dialogue. If you don't pay attention, you miss it. Yeah, there's so much stuff that I know I was missing things. 
and I know I didn't fully note everything, but there's so many things in the dialogue that refer to other things, and <laughs> there's just, it's just, you have to see it to completely understand what I'm talking about. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, you look at it on the surface and you think, okay, it's, it's, it's a cheesy, cheesy B-movie you know, there's not a lot of substance to it, but there there actually really is. Like, there's so much, so many intercrossing things. Like you say, there's there's things that relate to other things and other things, and it's just for as it was written in not very much time. I think it was actually written in just a couple of days, but it's hmm. it's so much, it's so clever in the way that it goes back and forth. I can kind of see that it maybe it could have been written quickly because it the dialogue. I don't know exactly how I want to phrase this, but the dialogue felt like something that wasn't given a ton of overthought. Like they th- thought of something funny and they just wrote it down and moved on. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, actually. Because a lot of this, I feel like if if it was given over to somebody for like rewrites, a lot of the weirdest stuff probably would have been taken out. <laughs> yeah, no, very much so. Well, and depending upon who you talk to, like there was rumors that there was a lot of improvised dialogue between um, Seymour and I could uh, see improvisation happening. Yeah. But that, but if you talk to the guy that played Mushnik, he said that that's not the case, that everything that he like spoke was written. Well, either way, a lot of it was weirdly hilarious. Oh yeah. Very (laughs) much so. It's just, you look at it and it's okay. Here we go. According to Dick Miller, all the dialogue between his character and he was the flower eating guy and Mushnik were ad-libbed. But then you talk to the guy that played Mushnik, and he said that that wasn't the case. So, depending (laughs) upon who you believe. I mean, I could totally see some of his lines being ad-libbed. Oh, yeah. He had a lot of weird lines. Yes. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. That's about 80% of the script. (laughs) I don't even remember that guy's name. In my notes, I just called him the flower eater. (laughs) I I think it was... uh, Forsh or uh... there, there were so many weird names. It's like I, I'm never going to remember most of these names. <laughs> oh, actually, there's a funny thing in that. So the opening credits state that all events, characters, firms, and institutions in this photo play are fictitious, and any similarity to persons living or dead, or to actual events, firms, or institutions is coincidental and sorry, coincidental and unintentional. Um, so that's something that you see in every movie made today. Like at the very end, it says, you know basically that apparently in the 50s a lot of companies were slapped with lawsuits by viewers who heard their names uttered so um the writer poked fun at that by giving really super bizarre names to all the characters (laughs) yeah the only names that i really remembered were the ones that were in the 80s version too and that's fair i think (laughs) the rest were just strange and i i don't remember them (laughs) yeah i know right like um, the 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 officers, it was Frank Stooley and Joe Fink. <laughs> I remembered the Frank and Joe parts, but I didn't remember the last names. <laughs> <laughs> it gets so weird so quick. I, I like I don't even know what the dentist name is. It's just dentist, you know. I just wrote the dentist. I didn't remember his <laughs> name either. I don't. Really, also- I don't remember it from the eighties version either. <laughs> you could just call him sadist dentist or dentist sadist or something like that something like that yeah uh yeah it's it's a thing i like 
even watching it this is this is i mean i've seen this several times but it's it's how did they come up with this like we're like Seymour ends up in a toilet at one point like what <laughs> you know a lot of stuff that happened it was like this was made in the 60s yeah <laughs> it just it didn't feel like something that you could get away with not that there was anything like super bad or racy or whatever there was a little bit towards the end but it just didn't feel like something that would be made in the 60s even like the style of humor just did not feel like 60s humor <laughs> Well, and and the way like Corm, so Roger Corman is well known for making stuff quickly and cheaply, and so like like you talk about the fact that there weren't a lot of rewrites, and that was probably the case. Like stuff was made snappy, it was made quick, it was made to be pushed out to people at a drive-in, and that was kind of it. So the it was mainstream like films or mainstream cinema, but it was like those those edges of mainstream cinema. Like, if you look at some of his other early stuff, like, the film he made right before this was called Bucket of Blood. And it's about this guy who, um, actually, the the flower-eating character was the main character in that one. But basically, um, he accidentally kills a guy, or sorry, yeah, he accidentally kills a cat, turns it into a sculpture, it becomes, like, this massive hit. He accidentally kills a guy, turns him into a sculpture, like, covers him in clay, becomes a massive hit. And this goes on and on. And it's kind of similar themes. Like there is a very dark humor to it if you look at it. So it's a little bit like subversive as far as what it is. Mm. I think that's probably the mo- the biggest reason it didn't feel like something from the 60s. Because not, I mean, most of my viewing from the 60s is probably like old Disney movies. So maybe I'm not the best judge of this, but. No, I, like, that's your experience. That's fine. Like, I don't think of things from the 60s as being. Like the dark humor and the, I guess just the subversiveness. It just doesn't feel like something that you would see much back then. That's I fair. don't know. Well, and it, it depends like where you're talking. Like mainstream cinema, you know, you kind of get that. But yeah, you go underground cinema, you go a lot of like experimental stuff. That was kind of the era for that. And this, I don't, I don't want to say that this is, it's not mainstream per se, but it doesn't really, it's not really the underground stuff. It kind of mm. rides that line, though, between them. Because, like you say, there are a lot of things in here that are... It's inappropriate, but not in an inappropriate way. <laughs> That's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> Agreed. And, yeah, and it's just like... Like, the, the mom character is so over the top. Yes. Like, and and whether, whether she was written... <laughs> I, and I don't know. You know, you could... You can look at that and say, oh, well, you know, it was portraying, you know, this certain stereotype from here or, oh, it was, you know, talking about this over there. I've never found anything that talked about that really, but I haven't really looked. But her character is so, such a character that you either love or hate, you know? I feel like I would probably hate her if she was real, like someone I had to be around all the time. <laughs> but in a movie, she was hilarious. Oh, absolutely. Well, and just the little, like, she was perfect for the role. Because she had, like, all the little, like, like kind of, like, mumbly um, insults under her breath. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a character as, I don't know how you say the word. Like, she's hy- a hypochondriac, but, like, to an extreme that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. No, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just the, I remember the first time I saw this and I was just like, you could make commentary on that based on like, cause like she was, 
she was a, a massive fan of um like snake oil basically and you see so much of that kind of stuff today you know like as seen on tv stuff that's supposed to cure everything and anything under the sun but it probably is like 95 percent alcohol with like uh. food coloring and maybe like a touch of lavender uh essential oil <laughs> such a like that's what a lot of that stuff was and that's a lot of what that's the basis of that is what a lot of stuff is now here today too uh, she had some great lines that i had to write down we'll get to those i've I was just thinking about them. She's she cracked me up so much. Oh, she was great. Like, and the meal that she lays out, which is again further down the way, but oh my god, the fact that that Seymour was still alive at whatever age he is, mid twenties. How? Maybe that's ow. why he was an idiot. Very possibly. He was an idiot, but yet he was some kind of like brilliant botanist. I mean, how do you how do you reconcile those two? <laughs> was he brilliant or was it an accident? <laughs> no, therein lies one of the great questions of this movie or any version of this movie. <laughs> Maybe it was slightly both. <laughs> yeah, more than likely. <laughs> well, I guess we could start at the beginning. I Take it away. <laughs> the the opening I don't this is a weird connection to make, but it reminded me of Sesame Street. <laughs> I can see that. Just the way the illustration was, I don't know. I just got Sesame Street vibes from it. Minus, like, the hard-boiled detective voiceover. (laughs) (laughs) So it's slightly older Sesame Street. It's more like Sesame Skid Row. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) I I got, for some reason, the way they did the prologue, I kind of got Twilight Zone vibes. I could see I, that. I don't know. Like, it's just a very, and I know that was, they were going for kind of a Sergeant Joe Friday kind of a feel from like Dragnet or whatever, but it gave me that sense of like, you're kind of setting up the story. I don't think it was, I don't, I think he would have been fine without it, but it lent it to itself some interesting bits in there. So. Mm-hmm. It also kind of reminded me of the way Disney used to do their live action films around the same time. Like it would be, a live action movie but it would have like an animated oh, yeah. intro with the credits oh yeah in this case it was probably more a case of like saving money probably. than anything else because corman the the two things you can count on corman for are incredibly quick turnaround times like he would shoot even at his height he would shoot movies in two weeks mm. and massively small budgets like he used like one set for multiple movies like and not the not the tangent but you look at the movies he did about, like, he did six Edgar Allan Poe movies. All of them mm. were essentially on or around the same sets. Or if he did one, he would do another one back to back so he could do two of them on the same set. Oh, that'd be a good cost-saving measure. Oh, massively so. Like, even this one, he shot Bucket of Blood right before this, and he used um, parts of that set for Little Shop. Hmm. And he had two days to be able to do it before they tore down the sets. Well, when we get into the movie, it starts with this little old lady whose name I also do not remember. Uh, Mrs. Shiva. <laughs> okay. She's, like, tearfully ordering flowers, and I think she said that her sister's nephew, Stanley, died. <laughs> and she, always, she, <laughs> she, she did this multiple times. Coming in, she gives all these weird little details, like he was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he got blown up. Who knows how? <laughs> 
things with this with this is um they play kind of strongly into jewish stereotypes and kind of humor uh-huh. i'm not sure if corman was jewish but, but maybe the the uh, writer was charles griffin and i he might have been but they really they really hammer that kind of in i mean i think you even get that with um seymour's mom just the the kind of hypochondriac like the the worry and the the over the topness of that but yeah the yeah she's she's a hoot too like if you listen some of the things that she says are just insane like they're Uh so funny well i noticed the jewish stereotype mostly with mushnik oh yeah who's who's like over the top (laughs) also is it mushnik or mushnik like they, they kept going back and forth it's like okay which one is it I don't know. <laughs> so it's both. <laughs> yes. Gravis Mushnik. Was his first name Gravis? Because I thought somebody said Travis, but then I thought it was somebody else was saying Gravis. Yeah, it's it's Gravis with a G. <laughs> okay. Gravis Mushnik. <laughs> I've never heard that name before, but I haven't okay. either. <laughs> I also haven't heard the name Krillborn, so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we, when when this little old lady says that her sister's nephew got blown up, he says, oh, that's nice. Would you like maybe some flowers for the funeral? <laughs> oh, she must be a good customer to come in there a lot. And he just knows that when she comes in, she's going to have at least three relatives that have died in very strange circumstances. <laughs> she also looks like she's trying to get away with something because she's talking about getting a discount and she looks really sneaky <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like lecturing her about how we can't afford that <laughs> you can't afford water for the plants <laughs> but don't you think too that could be like a, not a barter but kind of a trying to one up each other on the on the, the hardship thing like oh, oh my sister's nephew died you know being blown up oh well i can't <laughs> afford to you know buy water for my plants etc <laughs> yeah that's that could be i wasn't even thinking about it that way i just nice. thought it, they were being weird yeah they could have been <laughs> it's both really yes exactly and i'm trying to think what uh seymour was singing in the background i don't remember at one point he was singing a christmas carol yeah, while well, he was feeding the guy's leg to the to Audrey too, or to Audrey Jr. <laughs> there's, there's so many bizarre things in this movie. Yes, there are. But yeah, he's singing semi-terribly in the back, and Mushnik is yelling at him to shut up. And Audrey is saying that he should let him sing. And then while all this other stuff is happening, he gets a phone call from that dentist who is simultaneously ordering flowers and drilling someone's tooth. Yes. It's like, I I guess multitasking is a good thing, but (laughs) really? Well, you know, he's he's having a hard time, too. He can't find an assistant, so he has to do everything himself. Uh, I think he likes that. (laughs) Oh, he's very much like he's, yeah, he's definitely a sadist. Yeah, because when he hangs up the phone, he he's like telling the patient that he's gonna get it, and he's like jamming <laughs> the drill into his mouth, and the guy's screaming. <laughs> I think the dentist is like based on what people think the dentists are like. That is incredibly possible. <laughs> oh, I was gonna um, 
I was gonna say the guy screaming in the chair was uh, was the writer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he wrote himself into the screaming part. He did. So the dentist has ordered flowers, and Mushnik is yelling for Seymour to fill the order. But this is where you learn that Seymour is not the brightest bulb, because he's like cutting huge chunks out of the stems. And then he tries measuring it and cuts the measuring tape. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end, the flowers are just like tiny little, basically the flower with almost no stem. Yes. (laughs) And this is where the flower eater comes in, because this guy comes in to order carnations. And when Mushnik offers to wrap them for him, he says, no, it's all right. I'll eat them here. (laughs) (laughs) And then he starts picking off the flowers and eating them. And he even has a salt shaker to sprinkle on them. (laughs) And he has what is my personal favorite line. He says, I love kosher flowers. (laughs) He had so many weird lines. Yes, he did. But very insightful. Like he was almost like our, our kind of like he provided all the like little bits that I mean, he's the one that suggested that they um, use Audrey Jr. Mm-hmm. as like a as an exhibit. He kind of was the guy that provided all the, you know, like, oh, hey, well, try this. Oh, try that. Yeah, because he, he says that, well, Seymour is almost fired. and But he says that he's growing a new kind of plant. And the flower eater says that he shouldn't fire him because he's eaten at flower shops all over the country. And the ones with the most interesting plants always do the best business. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells a story about the shop that has poison ivy all over the wall and says that the owner scratched himself to death in an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> And that's also um, Dick Miller. He was kind of a um, a Corman regular. Like he played several characters throughout um, a lot of Corman movies. Often a lot of them were called Walter Paisley after his character in Bucket of Blood. And I keep bringing that up, but that's just, it's a common point across a lot of this. Did all of his movies have people who said all these similar bizarre things like these characters, or is it just this one? This one is probably one of the weirder ones of the ones that I've seen of his early stuff. Like, you get into his, um, into Corman's Edgar Allan Poe movies, you don't have that, but you have the source material being Edgar Allan Poe. But, like, this mm-hmm. one, Bucket of Blood, some of the other early ones definitely have a very unique set of dialogue in them. Mm. So. Yes, this is one of the most unique movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's unique in a way that the musical isn't even unique, I think. No, agreed. This one is its own, it's 100% its own beast. Yeah. So, Mushnik tells Seymour that he can show him the plant, and if he likes it, he'll, he'll keep his job, and if he doesn't, he's still fired. And then Seymour goes home, and at first, I didn't realize that his mother was a character, because there was no mother character in the musical, so right. he goes home and the radio's on. I was like, why did he leave the radio on all day? <laughs> but it was his mother. And the announcer on the radio says, you've been listening to music for old invalids. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much on the nose, this movie. <laughs> and then his mother's like yelling at him to come look at her tongue and talking about getting tests at the doctor. And she's upset that the tests came back negative. <laughs> She was like, I thought I could trust this doctor. 
name is Dr. Um, Mallard, and it's because he's a quack. (laughs) (laughs) So she's, like I said, a severe hypochondriac to a ridiculous degree. Oh, yeah. And then (laughs) Seymour gives her something. I don't really know what it is. Some kind of tonic. It says it's 98% alcohol. Yep. (laughs) And she is like beyond overjoyed and she's like (laughs) chugging it saying that he'll never know what it's going to do for her (laughs) well and she says too how it uh she can feel the warmth of healing flowing through her it's like no that's just alcohol i'm pretty sure yeah (laughs) so he's collected his plant and his mother says that he should just throw it in the trash because it doesn't look very good it's sort of dying it's really dying (laughs) And he takes it back to the shop, and the flower reader guy is still there, and he's just, he's eating flowers saying, put this on my bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he, but he eats, he eats economically. He's only eating carnations. <laughs> are carnations a flower that is generally eaten? Because I know some flowers are edible, but are carnations one of them? <laughs> Not to my knowledge, but he did, the guy, Dick Miller did genuinely eat flowers in the movie. <laughs> It looked like he was actually eating them, so... Yep, they weren't stunt flowers. (laughs) (laughs) So, Seymour shows everyone the plant, and only Audrey likes it. (laughs) Not surprising. But she liked more... She liked uh, Seymour more than she liked the plant. Yes. She was more supportive of him than any one person should be of another person. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Until the end, when she finally kind of started realizing something was off (laughs) yeah it was the hat and uh scarf combo that really finally got to her (laughs) the flower eater guy is interested in the plant though oh totally he just is commenting about i I think he said something about it doesn't look very good but like somebody said that he should nurse it back to health and then mushnick tells him that he'll give him a week to to nurse it back Mm -hmm. to health he also mushnick also calls well, Seymour tells them it's called Audrey Jr., which Audrey loves, and Mushnick calls it Dumbbell Jr. <laughs> so <laughs> is that a, a reflection on what he feels about Audrey? <laughs> yeah. Well, and she definitely plays the, like, the, the, the mispronunciation of lines. Like, actually, with all of them, they, they all uh, kind of... Yeah, yeah. Everybody mispronounces some weird. I, I noted some of the weirdest ones, but like all over the movie, people like substitute other similar words, or they just completely butcher the pronunciation. And I, I'm, I would assume that's on purpose. Oh, I'm given the area sure. of town, maybe. Like I don't know, but yeah, definitely Audrey too. Like what you see in the in the in the eighties movie is definitely kind of. I don't think it's quite as severe here. But she definitely plays that kind of sort of ditzy, mm-hmm. broad, I guess. <laughs> and after Mushnick tells him that he has a week to nurse it back to health or he's fired, Seymour looks like he's upset. And Audrey makes something a comment about not being sad or something, and he tells her not to waste his pity on him. He's not worth it. And she says, who says you're not? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> And she also says that she knows that he's a fine figurative of a man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
mean, if you're going to call him anything, that's probably the nicest <laughs> thing to call him. <laughs> so later, Seymour's alone in the shop. He ends up cutting himself, moving this giant plant. And he's like waving his hand around, which I'm assuming is making blood fly around, which Audrey Jr. wakes up and starts snapping, presumably eating this blood. Yeah. Or the smell of it or something. Yeah. And Seymour says, you like blood? Well, I guess there's no accounting for some people's taste. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what else could he try? He tried fancy fertilizers. He tried um, bottled water. He tried everything. I mean, blood would be the next logical thing to try, I guess. Sure. (laughs) I'm not going to be trying that i'm not gonna be a no horticulturalist <laughs> no it's not really my thing either i'm just saying so in the next scene i'm not sure how much time has passed but seymour comes in and all of his fingers now have band-aids which he tells people were from bee stings <laughs> yes actually i think it was the next day yeah i guess that would make sense because that plant grows really fast yeah and it's kind of like you like it, it is a series of about four or five days, I I believe. Yeah, I think so. Like it's night, so it's day night, it, day night, day night. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is the next day, and he just poked all of his fingers the same day. Well, you want to get that sucker to grow? You gotta put in the finger work, I guess. <laughs> well, it worked because the plant is now huge, and Mushnik says he's getting a two dollar raise because of it. And Audrey says, isn't it empirical? (laughs) I'm not sure what she was trying to say, but that cracked me up anyway. Maybe maybe a miracle? Or incredible? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way she said, isn't it empirical? (laughs) I I didn't write down who said this one, because more than one person was mispronouncing things, but... Later on, two teenage girls come in, and they're talking about the plant, and one of them says something like, doesn't it have a scientific name? Because they tell him it's Audrey Jr. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote down the response, but I didn't write down who said it. The response was, yes, of course, but who can denounce it? That was Mushnik. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but who can denounce it? <laughs> <laughs> And the girls, they're from a local high school, and they're saying that they don't have any money to spend themselves, but they have $2,000 to spend on a a float or flowers for a a parade float in the uh, Rose Bowl or Rose Bowl Parade. The Rose Parade? Something, some sort of parade. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. The the two girls were were weird. Yes. (laughs) They were, like, weirdly obsessed with this plant. And then later Seymour, because they find out that Seymour invented it, and they like they're jumping all over him, squealing. <laughs> that, that yeah, they're they're groupies, but it's like, why would you be groupies for this really big, ugly plant? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love horticulturists! Oh my god. <laughs> and what whatever reason they decide they're going to buy all these flowers from them because the inventor of Audrey Jr. works for him. Oh yeah. Well, if you can dr- if you can make this giant plant, I mean, your other flowers must be freaking amazing. <laughs> Somewhere in here, Bushnick also told Seymour to call him dad. But then suddenly, Audrey Jr. starts looking really bad, and he says, "Who are you calling dad?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I tell you, Mushnik is definitely a fair weather friend. You know, he's yeah. all for you and then he's all against you. There's no middle ground. <laughs> yeah, and he starts acting like he's going to fire him again and Seymour promises to sit up all night with the plant if he gives him another chance. So he does. And then that night the plant starts talking. <laughs> oh God, this is one of my favorite parts in the whole thing. Like the the back and forth feed me. Like the feed me. Uh-huh. Like an insistent, petulant little child. He's like, feed me, feed me. <laughs> it just goes on. And then he has this really sassy feed. It's just, it's, it's such a goofy, like, way to say it. It's like the guy that did the voice for Audrey Jr. said it several different ways. And they just tossed all of them in regardless of how they sounded. <laughs> well, when it first started talking in that scene when it's still smaller, I remembered what you said back when we recorded that Alice in Wonderland podcast about it sounding like the bottle that says drink me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did remind me of that. <laughs> as soon as it started talking, I remembered that. I was like, oh yeah, it does sound kind of like that. <laughs> it is just, it's such a, of everything, I suppose if you're a plant, that's the first thing you say because, you know, you're hungry or whatever, but oh God, it's so funny. <laughs> So Seymour tries to feed it, but he's out of fingers. So he says he'll go for a walk and see if he can think of something. And he ends up in an empty train yard and he sees this bottle sitting on a cart thing and he starts throwing rocks at it. And some random guy pops up from behind the cart, gets hit by the rock and stumbles in front of an oncoming train. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, what? (laughs) It's a hell of a way to go. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason, Seymour gets a bag, and I didn't realize exactly what was happening because the scene cuts to him running around looking for a place to hide the bag, which now has something in it. And I I didn't even realize at first what was going on because the bag was never shown being filled up, and it is definitely not big enough to carry this guy. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, but maybe after being smashed by a train, it kind of like flattened a bunch of pieces. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> but he ends up back at the flower shop and the plant's still demanding food and he's telling it to stop begging. He has bigger problems. He just killed a guy and he says something about a bag full of and the plant interrupts him, food? <laughs> and <laughs> at first he's like horrified and then he says, well, maybe just a snack. And then he pulls out a hand from the bag, which looks very fake, but it's still gross when he's squeezing it over his mouth, Mm -hmm. the plant's mouth. (laughs) It's, this this movie is so bizarre. (laughs) It is very much. And then they, they cut or they kind of dissolve later and you see him putting like a foot in an ankle again, very fake looking Uh into this plant. And at this point, Audrey Jr. isn't, you know, you, you see Audrey Jr. and she's like the, he's like the size of a room. At this point, he's still relatively small. It's maybe like a, a foot across by a foot tall. Uh-huh. And I'm just I'm just sitting there thinking, how did they shove an entire body, even if it was smashed by a train, into this plant? <laughs> like the foot I, and the I ankle didn't even was, think of was, that. <laughs> the foot and the ankle was like as big as the plant. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Quick the digestive bo- The body system. shrinks. The body shrinks. Yes, that's how I it like fit it. in the bag and that's how it fit in the plant. <laughs> You know what? It makes as much sense as anything else. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
you also have Mushnik and Audrey having dinner together. And I'm wondering, are they related or were they on a date? You know, I still to this day don't know. Okay. Like, I assumed that it was, I, I, I don't think that it was, at least, I don't think Audrey saw it that way. Maybe Mushnik did. Because they really never say that um, that they're dating. He doesn't get mad at Seymour when he asks Audrey out on a date. Mm-hmm. And they're they not don't related. Have, like, any affection for each other? Not that I'm aware of. I think they're just work like not that it's workmates, but it's I think they just work at the same place. Yeah. They never really taught like outside of love interest. That's kind of all Audrey is, really. Yeah, kinda. She more takes up space. <laughs> It cracked me up, though, because they're having dinner and Mushnik says that the salad was great. What do you call it? Cesarean. (laughs) 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 And then he's talking about not having any money. And then this waitress comes in and overhears that and then demands that he leave and get money while Audrey stays behind. And he says something like, Oh, so your restaurant holds hostages now, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) She was a sassy waitress. Like, she wasn't taking anybody's crap. Yeah, I liked her. (laughs) So, Mushnick goes back to the flower shop, and he sees Seymour feeding the plant a foot. Yes. While he's sobbing and singing Duck the Halls for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nostalgic song that you sing while you feed, you know, run over human remains to a plant. I mean, it's it's just the, the song that you sing. I mean. <laughs> this movie is so bizarre. <laughs> Mushnick is so shocked by this that he just leaves without getting any money. And he goes back to the restaurant, demands all the alcohol they have. Yes, and- including cream, cream de mint. And he gives her his watch as payment for some reason, and she takes it. So apparently his watch is legal tender. Well, you know, I mean, it's something. I suppose it's uh, something to hold until he goes, brings back actual money. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just the amount of panic was just awesome. He's just, he's so overwrought. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I probably would be, too, if this was a real thing that I accidentally witnessed. (laughs) Oh, no. I 100% agree. I just find it hilarious. And Audrey wants to know what's wrong, but he says he's not going to tell her until tomorrow after he tells the police first. So, the next day, at the flower shop, Audrey Jr. is now enormous, and the shop is full of tons of people buying flowers. And those teenage girls come back and say they're going to buy all their flowers from his shop, and they want to feature Audrey Jr. on their float. And they want the queen to sit in, like, have Audrey Jr. open and then have the queen sitting inside. <laughs> oh, is that what they were saying? They were saying yeah. something about a queen and how she was going to be so cute. I didn't realize they were going to put her in the plant. That would not end well. <laughs> no. It'd certainly be a showstopper, but not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Seymour comes in and Mushnick grabs him and drags him into the back to demand an explanation and what the plant is. And Seymour says he doesn't know, but the plant is a cross between a butterwort and a Venus flytrap. And Mushnick doesn't tell him like that he knows that the, he saw him feeding a, a foot body parts to this plant, <laughs> but 
I, I don't know if Seymour knows that he knows, but they sort of sort of act like maybe they know. I don't know. But I don't he's, think he's supposed to. I think it's the reason because Mushnik is very roundabout about it because he's like, yeah. how big will this get? It's taking up, you know, he makes every excuse, but except with the exception of the fact, I think he's trying to give Seymour benef- the benefit of the doubt. Because let's be honest, Seymour is a little bit, you know, not the sharpest stick in the bunch. He doesn't seem like somebody who'd be killing people. No, definitely not. And at this point, he may have just seen, like, he might not, obviously he doesn't know that Audrey Jr. is sentient. He just thinks that Mm -hmm. Seymour is, you know, killing and feeding the plant, you know, Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. He's demanding to know the habits of the Venus flytrap because apparently Audrey Jr. is part Venus flytrap. So Seymour tells him that it eats flies three times in its life and then it's full grown. And then Mushnik wants to know how many times it's eaten and if it'll need to eat again. And Seymour says he doesn't think it needs to. Right. But through this whole thing, Seymour's been complaining of a toothache. So Mushnik tells him to go to the dentist's. So Seymour leaves, and Audrey bursts in, saying that they have to order more flowers, tons of them. And Mushnik just looks bewildered, and he says, I'm making lots of money. (laughs) So (laughs) he does not call the police at this time. No. And I always wonder, is it because, like, obviously there is, and I think more so it comes across that way in the 80s version and not so much the 60s version. But I do wonder how much Mushnik cares for Seymour. Because, you know, he plays up the whole, oh, I'm going to fire you, I'm going to fire you, but then he protects the secrets and stuff. Mm, I don't know. I saw, Sometimes I would get that vibe, but I guess for the most part, I thought he didn't really like him that much, except yeah. for the fact that he started making him money. Right. Well, and that's, that's, I mean, from that perspective, that makes sense. So, I don't know. But... So, Seymour gets to the dentist, and he hears a patient screaming. And the dentist is yelling, that'll teach you to keep your bill up to date, you deadbeat. (laughs) (laughs) And the patient runs out screaming. And Seymour tries to leave at that point, but he's caught by the dentist. And the dentist is reveling in torturing him. And he eventually pulls out his tooth. But then Seymour and the dentist start weirdly dueling with dental instruments for some reason. Isn't that the way it's supposed to go, though? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that from when I was, like, a little kid. The dentist and I, we just grabbed sharp objects and started (laughs) stabbing at each other. That's the way it was with mine, too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And Seymour ends up stabbing and killing the dentist. (laughs) And then it gets even weirder, because out in the waiting room, this weird little man comes in. And he seems thrilled about this magazine that's called Pain. And for some reason, Seymour decides to pretend to be the dentist and props the dentist's body up in the chair like he's the patient. (laughs) And this weird little man wants to get a walk-in appointment, but Seymour's like, no, he's full. And and then the guy says he's just going to wait outside. So he goes out to the waiting room and starts reading the magazine out loud. And it's like describing in detail these painful medical issues. And he's like so thrilled about this magazine. And you know who that little man is? No. Jack Nicholson. Really? Yeah, it was his first uh, horror movie role. One of his first roles overall, actually. I did not. 
I'm going to have to go back and look at him. I didn't catch that at all. Oh, that's okay. He looks very different from what you think of when you think of Jack Nicholson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you think of him middle to late life, but this was him. I'm not sure how old he was, but yeah, this was one of his first movies. Yeah, he was just, like, really skinny and... Yeah. He looked like a weird nerd. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons that this movie has gone on to be so popular was because as Jack Nicholson got more famous, it kind of, people would say, oh, well, this is Jack Nicholson's first movie. Huh. Okay. And so he would have been 23 at that point. Yeah, I was thinking he didn't look more than early 20s. No. Anyway, he's just sitting out there, so Seymour decides to come out and tell him that the patient just left so he can come in now. And he's like, oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> This guy's like the opposite of the dentist. The dentist loves causing people pain. He loves receiving pain. Yes. So you got a, a sadist and the dentist and a masochist in Jack Nicholson's character. Too bad the dentist is already dead because they would have been perfect for each other. Oh, they would have been. <laughs> it was a love formed in pain. <laughs> and for some reason, Seymour operates on this guy. And he drills a bunch of holes in his teeth while the guy is screaming, but it's like creepily joyful screaming. Oh yeah, <laughs> screams of screams of uh, ecstasy. <laughs> and then he's like, "Aren't you gonna pull any?" <laughs> and, and Seymour's like, "Well, it's your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> he comes in and he's like, "Um, I think he's got like." 10 impacted teeth and uh, like nine cavities. And uh, there's a couple of abscessed teeth in there. And it's just like everything you could imagine being wrong with your teeth. He was building up for a really painful experience. <laughs> he was saving up for this. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is like Disney world for him. <laughs> it was, it really was. <laughs> Happiest place on earth. For that guy anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And later he's leaving and he says that he never enjoyed himself so much and he's going to recommend him to all his friends. And he turns around, he's missing most of his teeth. Yes. <laughs> so Seymour goes back to the shop with the doctor's body and feeds it to the plant. And he says, goodbye, doctor. You were a crummy dentist, but you were a nice man. <laughs> and I'm questioning Seymour's character judgment. <laughs> I think I think you're right. Well, you know, when he feeds he feeds the dentist to Audrey Jr. whole. There was no yeah. like bits. Yeah, because Audrey Jr. is enormous now, so yeah. he could take the whole thing. Oh yeah. yeah, totally. Hopefully, hopefully Audrey Jr. chewed his food. I think Audrey Jr. just kind of swallows. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so then you go across town and you're at the homicide detective who was the narrator at the beginning and, like, one other time in the movie. So it was, like, building up at the beginning. Like, I thought this guy was going to narrate the whole thing, and then he's just, like, a couple of voiceovers, and he shows up towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> so you you go in, and the one guy comes in. Morning, Joe. How's the wife? Fine. How's the kids? Lost one yesterday lost one yesterday how'd that happen playing with matches well them's the breaks <laughs> i mean they're they're hardcore detectives i mean what what can you do i guess 
I just love how completely unfazed they are. Oh yeah, well they've they've seen the hard streets of uh, L.A. Uh, or of Skid Row. I mean, they know their stuff. Later on, and I don't know if you're gonna if you heard this in um, but that Mrs. Shiva, the lady that yes. was coming in. I'll, I'll wait then to bring that up. <laughs> So they start talking about the missing people, and they go to investigate. And then you go back to the store, and Mushnik comes in, and Audrey Jr. is enormous, and he's so speechless that he can't even talk when the teenage girls with $2,000 come in. Oh yeah, he keeps like mixing up his words. He's almost like Yoda. <laughs> Picture you have? What? <laughs> and then Audrey and Seymour, they're basically in love now. They're kissing. He asked her on a date. <laughs> and then this is where <laughs> that old lady comes back <laughs> 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 and she says that her nephew's son just died playing with matches <laughs> 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 and then she asks for 50 cents worth of flowers <laughs> well 50 cents back in the 60s would have been yeah, you know a little a few flowers I mean <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bouquet <laughs> Exactly. There's a little kid, you know. Okay, size of the bouquet. Little bouquet for a little kid. Exactly. (laughs) So the investigators come in, and Mushnik is like, I didn't do it, whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) They tell him about the two missing persons, and they determine that he actually doesn't know anything, even though he's acting super suspicious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then. On on this way out, the detective says hello to his aunt, and and she tearfully asks, "Oh, isn't it terrible? What happened to your boy?" And he just shrugs and says, "Those are the brakes." (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, and it's one of those great like. The jokes where it's set up in one side and then it comes off in the other. Like, just little yeah. stuff like that is so great about this movie. Yeah, I just about died laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so, because the plant is now even more huge, Moshenik is really suspicious. He drags Seymour into the back, demanding to know if the plant is going to eat anything else. And Seymour tells him no. Because it is absolutely full grown. There's no, no way it could be hungry anymore. <laughs> yes. Despite the fact that the plant is a growing boy. Yeah. And then someone from the Society of Silent Flower Observers. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> the little bit with the flower eating guy too, where he's using like the, the, the main lady's like magnifying glass to look at his carnation <laughs> underneath the lens. I don't know if that was supposed to be based on anything, but the, the Society of Silent Flower Observers just cracked me up. <laughs> wonder what that would break down as an as a um abbreviation sosfo yeah i like it <laughs> i want to become part of sosfo you have to be silent and look at flowers uh, i'm not good at either one of those things <laughs> never mind <laughs> so this lady comes in and she's tells seymour that he's going to be getting a trophy for his work on this plant which is very random <laughs> What? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I guess the Society of Silent Flower Observers just likes giving out trophies to horticulturalists, maybe? I don't know. Exactly. It's weird, but whatever. This whole movie is weird. <laughs> I hope it's a nice trophy, though. If they're going to give him one, I, I hope it's a nice one and not just a, you know, chintzy 
one that you toss in the corner. Uh, yeah. It better not be like a bowling trophy. So she asks when the large buds on Audrey Jr. are going to open, and he says, based on the plants that it's crossbred to get this one, he thinks it'll be tomorrow at sunset. And she says that she'll be back then with the trophy. So now Seymour and Audrey are going on their date, and they decide to go to Seymour's house because he doesn't have any money and his mom is a good cook. Allegedly. Quote, unquote, quote, good cook. <laughs> and then when they get there, the mom is like, don't look at me, I'm an old sea hag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, her, her range of outfits is just, she was in a hospital gown when we first meet her. And I guess yeah. this, this outfit is relatively normal, I guess. Yeah, she was done up a little more for this scene. Yeah, though Seymour goes a little nuts. Like, he brings the chair over for Audrey to sit down, and then he, like, tosses her um, sweater, like, off on in yeah, the distance. Yeah, chucks it across the room. <laughs> and then he, like, takes the coffee table and, like, dumps everything off of it and sits on that. And then you see them sitting there making googly eyes at each other. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many weird things in here one of the things that cracked me up was when the mom asked Audrey if she's hungry and she says sure am I could eat a hearse <laughs> <laughs> well I mean to tie an iron I suppose <laughs> plenty of fiber <laughs> and then the mom comes in with little shot glasses full of cough syrup for them to toast with Yes, and I'm guessing it's highly alcoholic cough syrup. Oh, probably. Yes. <laughs> and then she brings in soup that's made with cod liver oil and sulfur powder. Oof. As well as chow mein that's made with Chinese medicinal herbs. Yes. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice three-course meal. Yeah, this, this has got to be the reason that Seymour's off. Uh, it doesn't help. It certainly doesn't help. But while all this is happening, Moshnik is spending the night in the shop so that he can keep an eye on the plant. And then the plant wakes up and starts talking to him, demanding food, and they're arguing, and the plant insults him, and Moshnik says that he's not getting fed. Right. And I think the plant says something like, you'll get yours. He something does. Like he, he threatens him. It's like, that's kind of a not very nice thing to say. <laughs> Well, this is a plant that eats humans, so I don't think he's very nice to begin with. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I fully expected Moshnik to get eaten at this point. <laughs> I was shocked that he survived. Well, you know, he's just too rough and tumble for, for Audrey 2. Or Audrey Jr. <laughs> I kept wanting to call it Audrey 2 when I was making my notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, at the time, if you were the second person named that, you were Jr. And in this case, you know down the way being that it was based off of a lady's name you called it two and not junior so so back at the date audrey makes a reference to getting married and seymour's mother just flips out saying that seymour's too young to get married and he promised me he wouldn't get married until he bought her an iron lung <laughs> <laughs> but you've been breathing for years ma and she's like it ain't easy son it ain't easy <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it's weird because like you can tell that she's super like attached to to seymour but she says oh well he needs to go and you know 
go wild and do all this stuff. And at the same time, he needs to bring home a nice sick girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seymour tells her that Audrey had a cold recently. And she says, a cold? A puny cold? Why don't you get yourself a real girl with mononucleosis or gallstones? <laughs> <laughs> You need to stop hanging around flower shops and go hang out at the hospital. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and he tries to say, but she could catch something like that. And the, the mom is like, the only thing she'll catch is you. And then she'll take you off to some shiny sanitarium and leave me to the chiropractors and faith healers. <laughs> I know when I'm not wanted. And then she kicks him over. <laughs> oh it's such a weird line because to some extent like she buys into all that kind of stuff and yet it's uh, yeah i was so confused like to this day and then she's like don't feel sorry for me i'll just find a nice wet alley somewhere curl up and wait for the end (laughs) (laughs) oh she's so good at being hysterical it's great (laughs) yes it's hilarious And while all this is going on, the flower shop gets robbed, and Bushnik, for some reason, hides in a glass case, which is not hiding, and it doesn't work, and the robber is demanding money, and there's only $30 in the cash register, so the man tells him to give him more money or he's going to shoot him, and Bushnik tells him that the money is hidden inside Audrey Jr., and the robber is eaten. Yes. He climbs in and it's way at the bottom and yeah. And the noise that Audrey Audrey Jr. makes when he opens, it's like a door, like a door creaking open. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So at this point, I feel like even though he was like his life was in danger and he was protecting himself, Mushnick has almost committed more murder than Seymour because Seymour was just accidents. Oh (laughs) my God. Mushnick killed this guy. Oh, totally. Well, and he, he out, I mean, he doesn't, I mean, I feel bad for Seymour because yeah, it's basically a lot of random rock based like accidents. (laughs) That's true. There's more than one rock based accident. I mean, there's like two of them out of the maybe four people he takes out because he takes out the guy on the railroad tracks, the dentist, the hooker. And is there one more? I thought there was, but now I can't remember. Yeah, I know, right? Maybe maybe I'm just thinking of this guy, the robber. Yeah. Well, and anyway, so yeah, of, of the three that we can for sure say, two of them were rock-based. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seymour needs to go to a place where there are no rocks. Like, go to a beach or something. <laughs> or stay indoors. <laughs> just pour some gasoline on Audrey, too. I think Audrey, too, is causing all this. Yeah. I mean, but Audrey, Audrey too was also his way to yeah. Audrey Jr. was also his way to get out of all these murders. Yeah. Well, back on the date, Seymour and Audrey are talking about going to the South Seas together, or no, they're on a different date because mm-hmm. they the decide night. to go on a date in the store. So, they're talking about going to the South Seas together, and then the plant starts talking, and Seymour tries to pretend he's a ventriloquist, and this is where Audrey realizes that he's weird yes (laughs) she thinks he's crazy and storms out and apparently the plant also now has powers because (laughs) 
Seymour refuses to feed him anymore, and it hypnotizes him to go out and get him some food. And not only that, he calls him Master. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently the plant's magic now. Yes. (laughs) This hypnosis thing leads to this bizarre scene with this lady who seems to be able to teleport all over the place. (laughs) I don't think that's what's happening, but it's like she's everywhere. Like, Seymour goes one way and she's there, and he goes another way and she's there. And I, I, I know the scene was supposed to be, like, hilarious, but I was just so confused. Like, what is going on? Why is she everywhere? She really, really, really wants to get with uh, Seymour. Uh, apparently. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm just asking too many questions for this movie. Uh, that's okay. It's good to ask questions. <laughs> like, I still wonder how, you know, a one foot tall um, Audrey Jr. can ingest a, a foot and yeah. ankle. <laughs> but this lady will not leave him alone. She's desperate to get her him to come with her or to take her home with him and then in his hypnotized state he misunderstands what she's asking and thinks that she is volunteering to be eaten (laughs) (laughs) and then he doesn't have a coin to flip because she says like go to his house or hers or his place or hers something like that so instead of flipping a coin he decides to flip a rock <laughs> what? <laughs> like it's a giant boulder. It's like why? Why is this the solution? <laughs> but he throws this rock up in the air. It hits her in the head, knocks her out, and he drags her back to the flower shop, where it cuts. And I'm just, you just assume that she has now been fed to the plant. I, I think, given the end of the movie, we can pretty much assume that that she was eaten. That's true. <laughs> so the next day. It's the ceremony for the trophy presentation, and they're all waiting for the buds to open, and then the detectives show up at the ceremony, <laughs> which I, I know they're investigating, but it seemed really hilariously weird that they were showing up for this ceremony. Agreed. And uh, and uh, Mrs. Krellborn looked fantastic. She was dressed up like a, like a flapper from the 20s. <laughs> Had dressed in the whole nine yards. I didn't even think about that, but now that you say that, <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, she looked great. You can totally tell that 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 um that elixir that she was taking, the ninety eight percent alcohol elixir, oh, totally doing its job. It it cured her. Oh, a hundred percent, yeah. Ninety eight percent. Ninety eight, yeah. It's an extra two percent that makes all the difference. <laughs> Anyways, at the ceremony, the buds open up, and they all contain the faces of the people that the plant has eaten. And Seymour runs away, and the detectives are like, it's getting away. You're right, let's go catch him. (laughs) (laughs) And the chase is just... It goes on forever. (laughs) And it is, for all the weird stuff that goes on in this movie, it is the strangest part of the entire movie. (laughs) Before we get to the chase, though, <laughs> those two teenage girls had come back to the to the ceremony too, and they're looking at the flower faces with, like, with joy and wonder. Oh, now the float will be perfect. <laughs> but single, single, uh, single-minded. My goodness. <laughs> 
but yeah, the chase. The the cops are like they're chasing him all over the city, and at some point, for some reason, this whole crowd of children joins them. <laughs> I have no idea why. They're just running with them. It's really weird. It is. It's actually kind of funny. Um, they actually paid um, a group of kids five cents a piece to run out of a subway tunnel. They also pursued a bunch of winos to appear as extras for 10 cents a piece. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know, right? And then the, the scene where um, the guy gets run over by the, or quote unquote, gets run over by the train. Uh-huh. They used two bottles of scotch to persuade the operators of this one train to allow, you know, to do this scene. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a cheap way to get by. Oh, yeah. Well, like I say, Corman knew what he was doing. He, he needed to have written a book to give to some people who make movies these days. Yes. <laughs> well, well, I don't think many people would have taken his advice. I don't think it was the most on the level. <laughs> well, not if you're going to be bribing train operators with alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as you keep it on the tracks, what else? I mean, you can you can have your fair share of booze and not think about it. Uh, I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Anyways, this chase eventually leads to this. I guess it's like a factory yard. It's full of tires, and then like bathroom fixtures there's like sinks and toilets and bathtubs and it's like it's like a bathroom graveyard it's so weird yeah and then seymour apparently hides in a toilet to escape it's like i mean if the plant can eat a whole human when it's a foot tall i guess a toilet can hide somebody i suppose so (laughs) Uh, you know it's inside the um physics of the movie i guess it works (laughs) But anyways, he's escaped, but for some reason, he goes straight back to the flower shop. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what? Why would you go back there? Because no one's going to expect you to show up there. Plus, he uh, had to get his trophy. And I guess he's wanting to kill the plant because he's yelling at Audrey Jr. that she that he's messed up his whole life. And he's going to feed him like he's never been fed before. And he jumps inside holding a giant knife. Yes. But then the detectives get back to the flower shop, as well as Audrey and Seymour's mother, and another bud opens. This one has Seymour's face, and he says, I didn't mean it, and then his flower falls over. <laughs> the end. An appropriate ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Yes. <laughs> I love how bizarre this movie is. Oh, isn't it great? It's just... There's nothing like it. No, not even the musical. And the musical is weird too, but yes. it's a diff. It's a different weird. It's it's eighties weird. Yeah, this is just weird. Yes. <laughs> I I can't even say it's sixties weird because well, I mean it could be. Not that I've seen tons and tons of sixties movies, but it, it's not like any other movie from that time period that I've ever seen. No, I would agree. It, it has similarities to some of the other ones that Corman did at that point, but yeah, grand scheme, it is definitely its own beast. Yeah. Or plant, it's... I guess, in this case. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a plant beast. It is, very much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and for the budget and stuff, I think, and only having two days to really do their thing, 
it I really... can't believe this whole thing was set in two days. Well, for the most part. Like, the exterior shots, a lot of the outside stuff was shot separately over the course of a couple yeah. weekends. But yeah, the main photography, all the stuff that was inside was shot in two days. Um, they used, they, like. They must have just know, done, worked and worked and worked and not done a whole lot of reshoots then. Um, they came back for reshoots a little bit later, but that was, again, not a ton of it. They actually mm-hmm. set up, so you know how um, a TV show is set up to have multiple cameras catching the same thing? Yeah. They basically did that. That way they were getting like the, the angles that they okay. needed at the same time. That's smart. Yeah. Again, dude knew what he was doing. Yeah. And I think budget for it was, um, it said between twenty and 30000 um, Wikipedia says twenty two five, so I guess take that how you will, which is roughly two hundred and forty thousand today. Mm, that's cheap compared to a lot of movies. Oh yeah. Well and considering I mean it's not that not that it was not that it took place a lot of places, but it wasn't just like a single room and them filming. Yeah, they pulled out all the stops. Like they used family as as extras. The writer's grandma, I think, played um Seymour's mom. <laughs> Wait a minute, was, hang on. Was was the writer's grandma an, an actress? Hang on, let me look here. Because uh, if she was not an actress, she did an amazing job. <laughs> okay, she was an Amer- American vaudevillian. I could totally see that. Yeah. Especially so she was... with the, her costume at the end. Oh, yeah, it makes total sense. So she was, um, Charles Griffin was the writer of this movie. And that like, so she played Seymour's mom. Okay. She was great. Yes. I loved her whole thing. Her whole thing when she wanted him to marry a sick girl and she talking about how tragic her life would be if he married Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me to the chiropractors and the faith healers. <laughs> oh, what a fate. <laughs> oh, man. So of the weird movies that we've watched, you know, kind of putting aside the Alice in Wonderland stuff, where does this rank for you amongst like the other stuff that I've shown you or that we've looked at? This is the best one. I would nice. watch this again. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's fun. There's there's a lot of good here. Like, I think a lot of people do kind of poo-poo this based on just how crazy it is. But it, it does. It is actually a very good movie. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not... Like, I was not expecting it to be this funny. Like, I was expecting, I guess, Cringe. more of a horror movie. Like, well, that too. But I, I was <laughs> not expecting it to be, like, funny dialogue, well-written, and just weirdly hilarious. <laughs> I, I was not expecting anything that happened in this movie. Well, and that's, and that's Corman, at least. And, and regarded Corman is kind of Corman across the board. But, like, the stuff in the 60s for him... Like I love Bucket of Blood. It's one of my it's one of my favorite movies from that era. And it has that same kind of a dark cheeky comedy kind of a thing and it's it's worth a watch. It is genuinely funny. Hmm. Is it as weird as this one? It's weird in different ways. It's more it'd be I would say it's more macabre than this one. Uh, okay. I mean it well, deals with, with the death. title like that, I would assume that. <laughs> well, and it, it the thing is title really doesn't match what it is. It's 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 a I guess it would be like what you would consider to be like a clickbait title today would be okay. what that what that was. It it, it well, is Well, yeah, cuz you were talking about a guy turning like an an accidentally killed cat into a statue and that doesn't sound 
that bloody. Well, it starts with that, but then it does a few other things too. There's no blood, but it's like there are bodies. There so are. So it is sorry. definitely clickbait then. <laughs> exactly. Like, and there's nothing about there's nothing there's nothing that relates back to a bucket or a, or blood or anything like that. That's just the name of it. <laughs> That's definitely the definition of clickbait. This guy yes. was ahead of the curve. Yes, it was. Well, and you think for like that these were all B movies at that point. Any B movie you look at had kind of those big epic titles. Like it came from beyond the stars or, you know, it conquers earth or them, uh-huh. you know, they're built to be very, very clickbaity and draw your attention. Clickbait before you clicked on them. Exactly. I mean, them is a movie and regarded them isn't a Corman movie, but them was a sci-fi movie in the sixties about radioactively enlarged ants. I was going to say, just, I, th- I feel like I've seen that poster and there was an ant on it. Yep. But if you just called it radioactive ants or, you know, something along those lines, you wouldn't draw the crowds because, you know, what do you say? I mean, I think I'd go see a movie called Radioactive Ants. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose we can probably finish up this podcast. Absolutely. And next time we're going to be talking about the musical that this spawned, which I I love. Now that now I kind of love both for completely different reasons. I've I went into this fe- feeling like there's no way that it's going to be as good as the musical, but it kind of was, but in totally different ways. Oh yeah, it, it's it's such a. I think it's like a. It's not a car. It's not a car wreck in the in the perspective of it being awful, but it's a car mm-hmm. wreck in the fact that it is so crazy you can't look away. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's so bizarre. Yes, <laughs> there's even there's more stuff than even we talked about because I didn't take notes on every little line of dialogue. Like if you pay attention to the dialogue, there's just so many weird things that people say. Oh, there's it's <laughs> insane how many there are. It's it's. It, and, and even several viewings in, I'm still finding stuff. Like the yeah. kosher, like I'm crazy about kosher flowers line. I, <laughs> I had never, I, I never noticed and I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's just such a fun line. Yeah. The, for a movie about a monstrous plant that eats human flesh, <laughs> this movie is just hilarious. <laughs> it is. It a hundred percent is. <laughs> And you can take it at surface value. You can you can look under the surface and find stuff. Whether it's there or not, I, I can't 100% say. But there, there, is, there is a lot of good about this. Yeah, definitely. And it's really easy to find. It's a public domain movie. So you can find it on uh, the Internet Archive. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Tubi. It's, if you Google it, you're going to find it pretty much anywhere. Yeah. So look up this one. Yeah, and it's only like it's only an hour twenty. Yeah, no, sorry, an hour. It's, it's only an hour fifteen. I apologize. Um, yeah, it was. I I made it like twice as long by stopping and taking notes. But if I hadn't been, it would have been a really quick watch. Exactly, and it does go quick. Like it doesn't screw around at any point, really. No, it's just it really moves the story along. It's really well written for something that was written in what? What did you say? Two hours. Uh, two days. Oh, two days. Either way, it's it's still really well written for something written that and quickly. If, and if nothing else, to see Jack Nicholson, you can see hints of like 
when he like his his character in the Joker, you kind of see that manic kind of character in his performance here. Yeah, he kind of is a little jokery. He is. He like not so much like he doesn't laugh, but just the the attitude, kind of the the way he speaks is I would I would associate with the Joker. Now that you say that, yeah, I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably just him. Like, I think a lot of his characters <laughs> kind of reflect that. Like, there is that little bit of, you know, just that glint in his eye with everything he does. But you definitely get that here. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll see you next time for the musical. <laughs> All right. Woohoo! Do you want to let people know where they could find you in the meantime? Absolutely. So you can find me on YouTube at Trivial Theater, and that's theater spelled E-R, not R-E, because I am not quite that fancy, despite the fact that I really enjoy movies like this. You can also find me on Twitter at Trivia underscore Chick, and that's Chick without a K. Okay. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. And of course, make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. And we'll see you soon for another brand new episode of the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Every Version Ever.